3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'd not want to make friends, I'm just trying to help you make money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you about what is becoming a very bull market. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Oops, we did it again. A new generation of investors has been wiped out by the masters of greed. House of
1: pain.
3: Purveyors of bogus merchandise that simply did not belong on any self respecting stock exchange. As someone who lived through the dot com collapse, I can tell you that this period is looking a lot like what happened in 2000, 2001, one of the nastiest <laughs> bear markets of our lifetime. <laughs> Just like the dot-com era, Wall Street brought a new group of investors into the pool. Millions of them. And they're healing over because the pool is now poisoned. No wonder we had still one more not-so-hot day, although it sure looked good at the beginning. That's typical of the behavior we're seeing. Dow slipping 125 points, S&P declining 0.21%, although the Nasdaq edged up 0.25%. Ooh, light at the end of the tunnel. Despite the tremendous losses that individual investors are suffering from, companies keep coming public that don't belong in our marketplace. Sure, there have been very few IPOs this year. And far fewer SPACs, too. But they're still coming i got to say, this SPAC machine is one of the worst scams I've ever seen. If I were the head of the SEC, I would just pause them right now and say you IPO or you do nothing. It's time for them to speak up, for heaven's sake. It's continuing. Sure, there are some SPACs that have made you money, just like there are some long shots that pay, that pay off at that track, for heaven's sake. But as a former handicapper of summer now, I can tell you it's much easier to pick winners with the ponies than it is with these special purpose acquisition vehicles. I took a handicapping course at college, worked the tracks around Boston, Philadelphia. and I made far more money than you'll ever see from most of the SPACs that have come public in the last couple of years. More on the SPAC scourge later on. For now, I bring up the dot-com era because I always dreamed of pointing out the people who lost you all that money, who contributed to the destruction of your nest egg back then, drove you to the sidelines. They didn't say you never came back to the market for many people. Full disclosure, I turned negative on the dot-coms a week before the peak in March of 2000. And I told everyone to sell them. I told people to go into bonds. And I made a bundle betting against them for my old hedge fund. I told everyone. Back then, I knew which companies were to blame for the collapse. But you know what? I lacked a major venue to expose them. Not this time. So let's not waste a moment. Here's what I did. I ran a screen of IPOs from 2020 and 2021 that are now down 50% or more from the 52-week highs. And even I, the most sincerely insincere man in North America, and blown away by the size of these losses. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> That's why tonight I want to introduce you to the IPO Dirty Dozen, because these stocks have thrashed you just like Charles Bronson, Telly Savalas, Ernest Borgnine, Lee Marvin, and their compadres thrashed the Germans. First is Upstart. Here's a financial company that built itself as the ultimate disruptor of the whole money lending industry. Upstart was supposedly able to evaluate your credit worthiness better than any They even pitched themselves as a threat, if not alternative, to the FICO score system. I liked this one until I found out that they weren't just a service provider. They were letting money themselves from their balance sheet, keeping those loans on the balance sheet rather than selling them. Upstart's now sitting on a mountain of loans and has Federal Reserve that's no longer cooperating with their great disruption. This one is on a highway to the danger zone. Because it went from having no risk to having a massive amount of risk, including some losses, in just a couple of quarters. The latest of in which included a her- horrific, terrifying, negative pre-announcement. The House of Pain. It's down 94% from its high. Second, GoodRx. This was supposed to be the company that saved fortunes of pharmaceuticals. For a time, it was excellent. The only get player in the game. Then a bunch of other outfits started offering the same kind of discounts, and these guys had a major disruption uh, to its relationship with Kroger, giant uh, supermarket chain. I used GoodRx; I liked it, but so what? The pharma price cutter was a portfolio price cutter, and now it's down 89 percent from its peak. GoodRx, just like a lot of others, had a good brand name; shouldn't have been a stock. Number three is the firm holdings. Uh, this is the original buy now, and pay later play, powered by artificial intelligence. This was going to be the great democratizer of capital, offering consumers a much better deal than they get from credit cards. But everybody wanted in on this opportunity and then rising interest rates crushed the whole group. Of course, the firm will tell you that it's doing great. Let's give them that. As a matter of fact, let's give them a standing O. I I just want to point out that the stock's off 89, 89% from its highs. Now, the stock could be wrong. Maybe it should be up more. I don't know. I, I, 89% is what it is, OK? Fourth is CureVac. This is a company that was working on an mRNA vaccine for COVID. We were told it was very solid. Then we got more data. It was only solid for 47% of the people who took it. How about the other 53%? Darn things half as effective as Moderna or Pfizer. So it's no wonder, right? The CureVac stock is down 86%. Fifth is Lightspeed, which makes point-of-sale hardware and software that we used at Bar San Miguel. I didn't like this one because every couple of weeks, another company would come in and offer us a better point-of-sale deal. It seemed like everyone wanted a piece of our register, which is not worth that much anyway. No barriers to entry. No end to the paint. Lightspeed down 86%. 86%. These are not, these are not laughing matters. Six, Asana's a quandary. Some square by this work management software play, and the CEO recently bought a lot of stock. But the darn thing peaked at more than 72 times sales, not earnings, sales. The poster child for overvaluation, it's now fallen 85%. Seventh is Oatly, which is one of those brands that morphed into a company that morphed into serious losses. In retrospect, Oatly was trying to cash in on the plant-based movement like Beyond Meat, but there turned out to be no movement, or at least that's what the stock's saying. Look, I actually like oat milk, which is a good reason to buy oat milk and a bad reason to buy oatly stock. Now down 84%. Eight, we have Unity Software, which has a great product, but that's product's tied to gaming at a time when gaming is being slaughtered. Some feel this is like Zoom of gaming software. It's down 84 percent. Nine, we have Compass, which is a real estate brokerage that was supposed to be proprietary because it used artificial intelligence. Feels more like natural stupidity to me, though. Because who wants to own a real estate brokerage when the Federal Reserve's bent on crushing the real estate complex? And that's how this one fell, 84%. 84%, these are the things that drive people out. None of these people, won't, they're, not, they're not in the market anymore. Hey, how about number 10? RLX technology. What is this? A Chinese vaping play. Need I say more? It's also off 84%. A Chinese vaping play. They make this up. Do they make these up? I'm asking you, do they make them up? Yeah. They're making them up. They're making them up. Look at my staff. Ask if they're making them up. Are they making them up? Yeah. yeah. Number 11, too simple to you. <laughs> to you simple. Whoa. This is an autonomous driving truck company. The stock turned out to be too hard. <laughs> Except for the people who lost money. It's down 83%. Finally, it's been a tough slog for crypto assets, so it's been a tough slog for Coinbase. The company tried to school the head of the SEC on how crypto really works. Did not end well. Coinbase is down 83% too. When the book is written on this era, or when the many books are written on this era, there'll be a ton of commentary on SPAC charlatans. There'll be lots to say about those who con you into believing that the downside was much lower than the ceiling. But some of the most egregious offenders were the dirty dozen that hit you with repeated unsportsmanlike conduct down there giving you the business and only put your portfolio into injured reserve. Here's the bottom line. If you own more than one of these, you're probably not even watching, so hey, sorry. You're gone into the ether, or maybe the two-year treasury, and away from the charnel house, it is the IPO market class of 2020-2021. The shame! The
4: shame!
3: Joe in New York. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Joe.
4: The company I want to ask you about today has a new CTO. He previously ran the technology arm at MLB and was the CTO at Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus is well-known for video streaming, what type of impact could video streaming have for shareholders of Sirius XM?
3: Well, you know, look, Sirius XM is a play on the sale of cars. And the sale of cars has not been that good. Don't even think for a moment that there's something else to it. It's, that is the key data, sale of cars, and the sale of cars is not doing that well. Sometimes I get so upset, because it's just a replay of 2021, of 2000, 2001. And I lived through that. And I did my best to get people out of those. And I'm doing my best now. And I got you out of most of these stocks, but not all of them. And for that, I am so upset. But at least I tried. Today, if you are more than one of these recent IPOs, you're probably not even watching. You're gone into the ether, or maybe even into the two-year treasury, and the market owes you an apology. On Man Money Tonight, Spartan Nash helps to get groceries to your store. And we're getting an inside look at the state of groceries in the U.S. with the company's CEO. This is a winner. Then with the market's latest leg lower, we've spotted something that might actually protect you, a list of accidental high-yielders that may be worth watching. And Social Capital announced this week that it was unwinding two of its SPACs. I'll take a closer look at that hideous group, that space, and tell you what the future means for there. But all that did, too, is take away your money. So stay
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: All right, most commodities have pulled back substantially over the past few months, but we've still got a serious problem with food inflation. You know it. I know it. So how do we beat it? Agricultural commodities have gotten cheaper. How come those gains haven't flowed through to the consumer? To answer those questions, we're consulting an expert tonight, Spartan Nash, which is a food wholesaler and a retailer that also has a huge business supplying the U.S. military. This is one of those companies that the supermarkets get their food from, and they have their own supermarkets. Maybe that's why the stock has held up so well this year. You know, the other thing is up 13% year-to-date. When the company reported last month, they delivered a clean beat and raised quarter. Since then, the stock's been dragged down by the market-wide weakness. No kidding. So let's check in with tony sarson he is the president and ceo of spartan nash you better get a read on his business in the border food complex mr sarson welcome to mad money
4: great to be here thank you jim All right, team, you me.
3: reached out to me i want people to know this i looked up the stock you are up 251 percent since you transitioned to the management team in the summer of 2019 yes. which is extraordinary you have had a good run at a time when so many stocks are down so i'm just going <laughs> to put it to you so our viewers know What makes you so special?
4: (laughs) Well, let me give you a little bit of backdrop. So we sit at this wonderful intersection between retail grocery and wholesale grocery. So we run 147 of our own retail stores. That's about 30% of our business. Uh, We run uh, 87 pharmacies, 30 fuel centers. We also provide the grocery services to 2,100 independent grocers. So we have a nice balance between those two. It's an essential business, essential and an essential industry. And uh, the basic blocking and tackling, particularly in this time, uh, in the, the post-COVID era, right, um, has, uh, has, has allowed us to actually find ourselves after some period of difficulty, uh, just prior All to right. that timeframe, um, and uh, reestablish ourselves as a great player in this space. And uh, we, have, uh, we have, as you mentioned, the numbers, we've had a great run here the last couple of years. Uh, we have great people, and that's one of the things that attracted me to this business, fundamentally, uh, wonderful people, a great history, 100 years strong of serving their communities.
3: Well, Tony, one of the things I think people should recognize, it is in all your documents, in your comms call, you do everything you can to hold prices down. And it's very clear that you hold a lot of companies' feet to the fire. What are you seeing right now?
4: It's a great question. Well, we're really concerned about this overall spiral of inflation we're experiencing right right now. And uh, we're seeing uh, that uh, we're seeing this continued uh, escalation of prices that are coming through. We've had uh, over 47,000 Price request increases, in just this oh, year so geez. far, to put that perspective, that's about eight times the normal number we would get in, in a time frame like that. So, uh, so, and we are, of course, very adept at uh, negotiating and negotiating uh, in a tough way with our suppliers. Uh, but we're in a brave new world, and that's why we're taking on this 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 task of this what we're calling our merchandising transformation. And in that merchandising transformation, we are teaching ourselves uh, to do that, that work more effectively. Look, we've got, uh, I've got a great team of merchandisers, but most of them weren't even alive during the disco era of a, in that time frame when there was such a huge escalation of pricing. So we know that we have to be a sharp. We have to negotiate in a, in a, in a very a disciplined way. And we need to find ways for our consumers to win and our shoppers to win as, as well as our customers and find the right pricing and the right balance of promotions and base pricing so they can find the, the best prices available.
3: And how many of those price increases do you think are are uh, gouging. Gouging.
4: Relevant? Yes. Gouging is
3: a tough word. <laughs> so I know. So I like. want to do that because people <laughs> at home are tired of it. I think you and I might be able to say they're, they're too elevated. Mm. But you know how angry people
4: are. Yeah, yeah, when we hear it every day. So let me give you a couple of examples. So uh, we believe that some of those prices may have been a wee bit higher than they could have been if they're just okay. passing through the base cost. So, for example, just in the last couple of weeks, I we had a discussion with one of our uh, providers of, of stuffing, you know, it's, it's the seasoned breadcrumbs. And they took a price increase last October and they came back to us and said, look, we need to take another price increase. And they proposed a little over 10% price increase. And we said, why? They said, well, because wheat's up 10%. They said, well, you may find it surprising that wheat is not 100% of the ingredients in in that product, right? Uh, This actually winds up being more like 20% overall when you add all the other elements, right? And so we're seeing a lot of that, we're seeing people grab headlines of aggravations of, of, of their input costs and then passing through that same type of increase. We had a discussion with a cereal company recently, and they wanted something that was closer to 20% increase on some of their items. We reconstructed their P&L and re-engineered it. We found that, hey, the the real aggravations, which are extraordinary, were closer than the four to 6% range, right? So so to some degree, the danger, of course, is that the food manufacturers wind up exacerbating this problem with inflation uh, if we don't don't actually find our way to the right pricing overall.
3: At the same time, you do
4: all this work with
3: military, and it seems like, you save people in the military money versus having to go, say, to the regular supermarkets.
4: Big time. Yeah, that is a significant source of pride for us to be able to serve the men and women who serve our country. We are the major supplier to the commissaries worldwide. And we have a great work relationship with, uh, with DECA. And uh, that, that organization works very hard to make sure their servicemen and women can get the, get the great pricing. They have just recently invested a lot more of their money. And it's all about getting getting uh, service to the, uh, to the soldier, uh, getting those, expanding the dates and expanding the times that are available and getting, getting uh, you know, really substantially good pricing to them. So they're working very hard and we're working with them to make sure that can work. All right. One last Perfect. question.
3: Let's say the Fed takes up rates another 150 basis points. Mm-hmm. Would that at all impact any of the costs that we're
4: talking about? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it would be a very, a very immediate impact, for ah. sure, right? So the, uh, the, the cause and effect of this is, is, a, is different than something we've experienced in our lifetime. It's really not so much about a white-hot uh, economy that needs to be cooled down, in my opinion. It's more about there's a, there's a, a lot of uh, aggravations that came from the, in the supply chain that came through in this post-COVID era. And people are grappling right now between that and the labor costs and all. all the, and and there's, a, there's a little bit of confusion right now in the air. And it's allowed for some of these higher prices.
3: Well, I just don't want people to get hurt too badly, as you don't, by by rate increases that may not help them at the supermarket where much of the pain is spoken. Yeah, we would agree with that. Thank yeah. you so much. Tony Sarsom, CEO of Spartan Nash. Guys, this is a really interesting company. Tony wrote me. I looked at it and I said, "I gotta have one." And what did I say? <laughs> Come on <immediately>. Come on. <laughs> Everybody's <Their money's> back <laughs> into the break. Awesome. Coming
1: up: stop, drop, and yield. Have these stocks tumbled to a happy accident? Kramer delivers the goods. Next.
2: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: With the yield on the two-year Treasury now an astonishing high of 4.3%, it's widely viewed as a sign that we're on the cusp of recession because it means the Fed's going to hit us with more rate hikes, possibly a lot more. At the same time, these rapidly rising Treasury yields put tremendous pressure on dividend stocks because they finally have competition from the fixed income market. I know it's cliche, but you know what? I kind of view this as an opportunity. At this point in the cycle, you're getting a chance to buy the accidentally high yielders. I call them the AHYs. Dividend stocks have been hammered to the point where their yields are irresistible, regardless of where the treasuries are. They might have more downside here, but I recommend you start buying them here and gradually building a position. Why am I so confident? Because we embraced the accidental high yielders in the late 2008 when the market was falling apart. I said, yeah, you had to hold your nose and buy them. It turned out to be one of my best calls since the show began. Now I see the same thing happening, which is why we ran a screen looking for stocks down 30% or more from their highs that now yield more than 4%. You know, there are 54 of these at the moment, up huge from just a few months ago. And tonight I want to highlight five that I think will work for you. Our first accidental high yielder is Ford Motor, with a. yield. Not too long ago, the stock traded in the mid-20s, when we learned they were closing unprofitable plants in countries where they made no money. The company also increased its dividend when its earnings became more sustainable. But then it got hit with a one-two punch of the semiconductor shortage and higher commodity costs. Fast forward to today, Ford's a $12 stock that just preannounced the latest in a string of lousy quarters. They took a billion dollar charge on higher costs, commodities mostly, gave you an earnings shortfall because they couldn't find the components needed to finish existing cars. However, they said the next quarter would be fine as they get their supply chain in order. Unfortunately, Ford's credibility has now been called into question. Whoever heard of an automaker being dragged down by folding nameplates, possibly caused by sabotage from a nearby factory? Was it Stephen King? So why the heck am I recommending Ford? Because it's the only automaker besides Tesla with electric vehicles that people actually want without advertisement. There's a chance they could hit a half billion electric run rate by the end of next year. Now, that's why I think you're getting a very unusual buying opportunity. And what currently seems like a cursed stock, even as Ford has so much demand that it can't produce enough vehicles on pretty much any of its product line, that's how popular they are. We own it for the Chapel Trust. We're buying back the shares we sold in the 20s. Don't forget, they're paying you to wait with that 5% yield. Next up, there's T-Corp, regional bank, accidentally high on 4.9% yield. Got to include a bank here because they instantly become more profitable every time the Fed tightens. The spread between what they pay you for deposits and what they charge for loans is only getting larger. People forget the banks used to love it when the Fed raised rates. They're making so much money right now. It reminds me of the 90s when the Fed tightened aggressively in order to save the banks from the savings and loan crisis. Why Key Corp? Good question. Because the worry with a higher recession, higher rates is a recession, which means people can't pay their bills, get more defaults. Key has very few bad loans, though, and I like their Cleveland-centric location. Plus, it's got a great balance sheet. I think it's insane that you can get this one with a nearly 5% yield. Well, I expect slower loan growth going forward. I'm not worried about a gigantic spike up in bad loans because in recent years, people were borrowing at incredibly attractive rates, and many of them are locked in. This is not... 2007. Third, how about a real estate investment trust that's been through thick and thin with nary a problem? I'm talking about Federal Realty, FRT, which owns mixed-use properties in rich suburbs and supports an amazing 4.9% yield. This is the kind of situation where a stock's have been dragged down by the cohort as the REITs tend to trade together. Now, Federal Realty's latest quarter was spectacular. And their oxygen rate's headed higher, not lower. It's not like this is merely a shopping center play. They also own office space and residential space, all, by the way, in the best neighborhoods in the country. Sure, Amazon's great. They might offer uh, same-day delivery. But even that can't compete with a store that's right across the street or in your building. How much do I believe in federal reality? Look, during the early stage of COVID, when everything was shut down, the analysts were convinced that CEO Don Wood would have to cut his dividend. They thought that this was next. You know, they even heckled him on the conference call. And you know what he did? He raised the payout, possibly out of spite. If Federal Realty had nothing to fear in the spring of 2020, they got nothing to fear now. Fourth, there's Devon Energy, the oil and gas company that pioneered the new variable dividend policy. Back when oil was going through 100 on the way up, CEO Rick Moncrief told members of the CMC Investing Club that he wasn't going to change his drilling plans in order to chase those prices. That was smart. In fact, he was hedging against a big decline in crude, making sure 20 percent of his oil and 30 percent of his gas were protected. That was even smarter. I know it's tough to get behind an oil here with WTI crude back to where down in the 70s, especially as the Fed shows no signs of easing up in the war against inflation. Devon's payout is hostage to those prices, but they just gave you $1.55 per share this quarter. Even if that ends up being cut in half, the stock would still have a 5.4 percent yield. I don't see the demand getting hit that hard. Oh, and not with Devin's low cost structure and choice assets. What can I say? And by the way, huge buyback. Not everything in the oil patch is falling apart. For a final pick, I was torn between two companies, Best Buy and a pipeline company called One Oak. Best Buy has a 5.3%. You have a very good balance sheet, but it's a tough time to be an electronics retailer. I think the stock has more downside. That said, if the yield gets to 6%, then I think you buy, 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 which leaves us with One Oak, which is one is zero and, well, you know, it was, O N E OK, One Oak. This is one of those stocks that gets no respect with a 7% plus yield and 25 years of positive dividends. In the last five years, its payout has gone from $2.46 to $3.74. And I think its future has only got brighter due to the pipeline scarcity in this country. One Oak periodically gets hits with these battles selling, and investors wonder if something's wrong because it's got a 7% yield, whether it's a red flag. I've often worried about that, too, but I'm not worried as long as Ukraine's fighting with Russia. That shut down Russian gas shipments to Europe, so they need our liquefied natural gas. And Wenoch has key pipelines that take the stuff to export terminals. I think the stock can work well for any portfolio that's searching for real. And I'm betting the current sell-off is temporary, just like the past ones. Bottom line. As the Fed continues its relentless efforts to slow the economy, you want to take shelter in the accidental high yielders because their dividends will give you a cushion. And what do I like? I like Ford. I like Key Corp. I like Federal Realty. I like Devon Energy. And I like One Oak. Bye, bye, bye. They're all good to go. Aaron in New York. Aaron. Hello. Hi, Aaron. Shim.
0: Hi. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
3: Oh, my pleasure. What's up?
0: Um, I was just wondering if J&J is a buy after the congressional inquiries regarding asbestos and their talcum powder and all that negative press they've been receiving recently.
3: Well, I think it's a great question, because what happens is a lot of that stuff gets really gets thrown in. I mean, everybody's kind of figured that out. At the same time, all the staple stocks have been going down, but not J&J. That's a sign of strength, not weakness. My Chapel Trust remains committed to it and wants to buy more if it goes below 160. Now let's go to Tom in Indiana. Tom. Yeah. Hey, hey, hi, Jim. Hey, hey I'm just asking about, I was asking about the Simon Property Group if it's, a good to, if it's a good company to buy into and what kind of Okay, you're reaching place. for a yield with Simon Property. It's run by David Simon. If he came on, I would certainly feel a lot better to find out why it yields 7.86%. Which is why I like federally, FRT, which is a shopping center play, not shopping mall, with mixed use, including residential and office. All right, these stocks are my top five accidental high yielders. And these are where you want to be as the Fed continues its relentless efforts to slow the economy. I think these stocks will prevail. There's about for me, my day The formerly hot SPAC space has cooled down. Woo! So could this actually be a good thing for the market as a whole, even as I hate those stocks? I'm surveying the space. Give you my take. Then there are a host of critics of the Fed's plan to tame inflation. Where do I come down on the issue? I'm going to give you it straight. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Me to tell you that the main culprit behind this bear market is the Federal Reserve's war against inflation, which will likely cause a Fed-mandated recession. I've said that over and over again. While well, giving you a risk-free 4.5% now, two years, but that's not the whole story. I always say that the bull market gets killed when they get flooded with low-quality merchandise, lots of it, diluting demand for good stocks and disgusting investors by tricking them into bad ones. In 2020 and 2021, there was a deluge of IPOs and, worse, SPAC mergers. And a huge part of that weakness over the last 10 months has simply been the market rejecting that insanity. Sell, 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 sell. I covered the abomination that was the IPO market at the top of the show. Worse, even as the IPO window mercifully slammed shut, these special purpose acquisition companies, SPACs, just keep coming. There was so much money behind the SPACs, it seemed like the deals would never end, even as they kept losing people money hand over fist and still do. But while we were in San Francisco last week, you we finally got a positive development here. Chamath Palahapatia, one of the most prolific SPAC sponsors out there, announced he'll be winding down two special-purpose acquisition vehicles, basically ending his pursuit of SPAC mergers. This guy's one of the leaders in the space, and thank heavens for you, he's turning off the tap. Meanwhile, many other major SPAC sponsors are finally throwing in the towel, liquidating their investment vehicles. Plus, we've had hardly any IPOs of late, mercifully again. All of this is incredibly good news for the market, even if it's hard to appreciate deposits in an environment that is this difficult, meaning this bad. Now, I try to be a straight shooter here, though, and I've spent over a year warning you about these things, and you know that. I told you repeatedly that the market would have no long-term peace until the SPAC attack came to an end. So now that it's happening, I think it's worth taking a closer look. First, let's talk about Chamath's pullback from the SPAC business. Now, this is the guy behind a couple of incredibly horrible deals, Social Capital and its myriad of SPAC funds, Last Tuesday, we learned that two of its largest SPACs had no plans to complete any mergers by October 14th, which was the deadline for both of them. If you go past the two-year deadline, you have to unwind the SPAC and return all the money to your shareholders. Remember, these are blank check companies. What a terrible thing if they even came up with an idea, a blank check. Remember when your mom told you, don't ever give anyone a blank check? But eventually, the check expires if nobody cashes it in. More important, Chamath laid out his rationale for letting these two SPACs unwind. Listen to this, and I'm quote, while we came close to do, dealing a deal several times, we only walked away each time for a couple of reasons. One, valuation, accommodation of factors made it very difficult to find a company at a reasonable valuation and margin of safety. He didn't want to pay too much and felt like he'd either have to overpay or end up buying an inferior asset to get the deal done. No kidding. Second, he talked about volatility. Privately-held companies have gotten gun-shy about coming public via SPAC merger, given the state of the market right now. Again, thank heavens, this is what's called rationality. It's a little late, though. I do think it was a wise decision. And I wish more SPAC sponsors would follow in Palahapatia's footsteps. More importantly, I think it's good news for the market. Why? Just look at how the other four SPAC mergers sponsored by this guy have done. His backs have taken four companies public, Virgin Galactic, the super early stage space tourism play, Open Door Technologies, the house flipping business that continues its strategy, even after Zillow admitted its house flipping venture was a bust, Clover Health, which is supposed to be a disruptor in the health insurance space, and SoFi Tech, SoFi Technologies, the digital bank that's trying to disrupt the financial services industry. All four of these stocks have been awful. Virgin Galactic, it's down 92% from its highs in February of of last year. If you invested in the SPAC at the beginning, before we knew about the merger, you're still down more than 50%. Open Doors also down 92% from last year's highs, including a 78% decline for 2022 alone. You lost nearly 70% of your money if you got in on the SPAC at the start. Thanks for nothing. As for Clover Health, it's been torn to pieces, including by short sellers. It's now down 93% from its peak last summer. This is a $2 stock, for heaven's sake. You've been obliterated if you got in on the SPAC when it came public at $10. Finally, I want to like SoFi Technologies. Anthony noted the CEO, he's a terrific guy. And I am not changing my view that I like it long term. But at the end of the day, we've got to take our cue from Bill Parcells, former coach of the New York Giants. You are what your record says you are. And so far's record is a stock that's down 82% from its peak last year. If you got in on the initial SPAC offering, you've been cut in half. There was a secondary here, too, that just has been, well, I don't know who got out on that one, but boy, did they get lucky. I still believe in the company, and it's a cheap stock, but what a crummy neighborhood. It's no wonder these guys don't want to make any more deals. What? God, there's so many bad things that have happened in this market. And, of course, few startups wanted to do a SPAC merger, given how most of them have turned out. I want these so Badly to be done. They're a curse on the market. What makes this so huge is that Chamath Pal Hapatia was practically the face of the entire industry. Forbes dubbed him the SPAC king last year when these stocks were going up on nothing. He was incredibly promotional, constantly talking them up. The fact that he's now giving up and liquidating two of his SPACs speaks vibes. SPAC king, SPAC pawn. And he's not alone. 21 SPACs have been liquidated this year, more than half of them in the last couple of months. That includes some SPACs with big backers like Bill Ackman, Pershing Square's Tontine, which raised $4 billion in the summer of 2020. Then there's Red Bull acquisition, which was sponsored by Billy Bean, the former general manager of the Oakland A's. Brad Pitt played him in Moneyball. They tried, he's not a movie, though. They tried to do a couple of deals that both fell apart. Now they've given up. Finally, I want to mention Mudrick. I'm just selecting some that I thought were pretty amazing. Mudrick Capital Acquisition 2 which also had two failed deals. They tried to merge with Topps, the baseball card company, but then Major League Baseball decided not to renew their contract. The whole thing fell apart. Then earlier this summer, they tried to merge with Blue Nile, the online jewelry de- retailer, and the deal valued, look, write this down, $873 million. Okay, $873 In the end, the private equity backers buying Blue Nile decided to sell it to Signet for just $360 million. Think about that. They'd rather take the cold, hard cash from Signet into a SPAC merger that's theoretically offered more than twice the price tag? This is only the beginning. SPAC deals exploded on the scene in late 2020, and many of these funds are now approaching the two-year expiration date. A year from now, we can put this whole sordid chapter behind us. One last point, it's not just SPACs. The IPO market, as I mentioned at the top, is also comatose, if not outright dead. So far in the third quarter, we've only had 25 deals, the worst third quarter for new issues in over a decade. Even better, we only had six new SPACs created. We actually got the largest deal of the a year two weeks ago when AIG spun off its life insurance and retirement business as Corbridge Financial. But that was only a $1.7 billion deal and accounted for more than 70% of IPO proceeds this quarter. The majority of IPOs this year have been absolutely tiny, way too small for us to talk on air. SPACs in retrospect are just a bad idea whose time has come and gone. Oh, and if you're thinking of doing one yourself when you're watching, prepare for a hostile environment, not just from the public, but from someone who starts each show with, it's not about friends, it's about money. Mad money's back in the break.
1: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round next.
3: Play this And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? the Edwin in California, Edwin. Edwin. Hello. Speak to me. Hey, Jim. You're how up. are you? How you doing? I am good. How are you doing? Hey, thank you, Chris. For... Great. Thank you very much for everything that you do. A great, great, great oh, Thank you, I man. i taking a lot of heat. Good. I don't mind. Yes. What's up? <laughs> Hey, uh, what do you think of Everbridge? It's a critical event management company. Um, yeah, but, there's, but a hunt, there's a ton of Everbridge, except for most of them make money. This one does not make money. So I say sell, sell, sell. Now I want to go to Giorgio in Illinois. Giorgio. Mr. Kramer, longtime viewer, investment club member, thank you for yes! all that you do for us. Thank you. With the NFL season in full swing, and more state-approving online sports betting and having confirmed to take full ownership of media giant and marketing giant Barstool Sports, what are your thoughts on newly named Penn Entertainment? Penn Entertainment's interesting. I still prefer DraftKings. Still in California. Why DraftKings? Because Jason Robbins runs this pretty terrific outfit. I used to be affiliated with them. I like the way they work. They open a lot of business. They do a lot of good daily, daily uh I like it. I like the FK. By the way, can I just say that I think that this is a season for football that is going to surprise people when it comes to gambling. Let's go to John in Georgia. John.
0: Yeah. I wanted to check on a company, Harmonic Inc. Stock symbol HL.
3: Fiber Optic Play doing very well, but sells way too high a price earnings multiple for me to recommend when there's so many cheaper stocks out there. Let's go to Mark in Missouri. Mark. Good afternoon, Jim. Uh,
2: Booyah. Um, this is Mark in Missouri. I watch your show every night. Um, thank you for everything you do for this small
3: investor. Um, my stock you. is Calurian. Calurian. Your stock, stock has collapsed here in literally like two weeks time. Why? Because natural gas is formed like around nine to six. That is not a reason to give up on Tellurian, but I understand why people are feeling justifiably shaken, but I think at two bucks, it remains a very good spec. How about Marissa in Virginia? Marissa!
1: Hey, Kramer. I'm new at investing, and your show has helped a lot, so thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: About a month ago, I bought monolithic power systems. It was doing really well, but it has recently been declining a bunch. Should I hold on to it, or should I sell it?
3: Oh, man, it's just... LED lighting. Just, you know what? There's so many companies that are in the same business, and it's got a very high, high price earnings mobile. I'm going to have to say that I do not like this stock. I need to go to Frederick in Florida. Frederick! Hi, Jim. Frederick. Hello? Hi, yeah, Jim. Yeah, you're up. What's up? Hi.
0: Hi.
3: I, first of all, I'd like to say Andrew did a fine job in his interview with Kathy Wood this morning, which leads me to my questions for you. She's been the buyer of millions of shares literally on a daily basis of a company called
4: Ginkgo Bioworks. Symbol is D-N-A, trades in New York. Um.
3: Right. I think, look, she is a unique investor. Uh, The stock has come down a lot. I think it is an interesting spec. I'm not going against her at these prices. It's just too darn low. Hey, how about we got a Michael in Minnesota? Michael.
0: Hey, boy, Jim. Thanks for taking booyah. my call.
4: Uh, I have, what are your thoughts regarding Cloudflare?
3: All right, Cloudflare. This is Matthew Prince, and he's got just a ton of business on streaming balancing. And all the time you hear more streaming, the more business he has. It's one of the few stocks that I'll make an exception. It's just now turning positive on earnings. And I'm saying it is okay to buy. I know that's a tough call, but I do believe it. Ronald in Florida, Ronald. Yes, uh, honor talking to you. Can you hear me? Same. Ah, you, oh, you sound great. I'm uh, talking to you from the southwest coast of Florida, waiting for nice. uh, Ian to come oh, and get out of here. Yeah. Wow. Hope it goes okay there. What's up? Uh, Zim, about uh, maybe two months ago, I was surprised to hear you say it was probably selling at about 50. And, and you said it's going to be about half that in a while. And yeah. I on, I've uh, been wondering how in the world did you come up with that? And it turned well, out to be Well, because I don't like the shipping business. I think the shipping business is a terrible business. And I reiterate that that stock's probably not even done going down. And, and please be safe. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM Ameritrade. Coming up, the inflation situation made simple. Or as simple as can be. Next.
3: Contrary to popular belief, inflation is not slain. Forget about it. Most consumer prices are still out of control, even as commodity inflation peaked months ago. So we've yet to reach a point where you can honestly say the Fed has gone too far. Now, I know this position is getting a lot of press. Uh, Professor Jeremy Siegel from Wharton, one of my idols, is calling the Fed's multiple 75 basis point tightenings the worst management the economy has ever seen. He fears that we could already be in a recession. I say, hold on. Sure, commodity prices have already peaked. The ProShares Inflation Expe- Expectation Index, also known as the RINF, or RINF, peaked in June. Almost every commodity now down for the year. But how many commodities are below where they were trading when the pandemic began? Isn't that the ultimate goal? I know only one, lumber, which has fallen to pre-COVID levels. While lumber is a key component of housing, it's not much beyond that. Of course, the average house has lost about 20,000 in value since the last tightening, from 390,000 to 370,000. But we'd have to see a 30% decline if we want to roll things back to pre-COVID levels, which, again, is what I think the Fed wants. Although housing's finally headed in the right direction, we've a long way to go. That's why the yield in the two-year Treasury keeps soaring, as investors are betting the Fed will have to raise rates by about a percentage point, and maybe a percentage and a half before it truly breaks inflation. So how do we get this situation under control? You know What? Oddly, I think, I think the situation needs the help of companies, companies like Costco. If you listen to that conference call last week where the legendary CFO Rich Galante put on a tutorial about how to put inflation to bed, you know who's going to make this, so things get rolled back. First, he says there's a lot of good news. Listen to this. quote: "We are, or, we are seeing just a little light at the end of the tunnel, end quote. "Even as the price of uh, food inflation was about seven going to eight percent, there was a decline. In food, which is a big deal, there are different components of food. But the real hope lies in declining raw costs. Glanty says, quote, we're seeing commodity prices coming down, such as gas, steel, beef relative to a year ago. Same goes for corn. He goes on, quote, even some small cost changes in plastics. We're seeing some relief on container prices, end quote. Then he adds, quote, the supply chain has improved a little, including on-time deliveries, end quote. Oh, and there are no more container shortages. These are all really important. How does it translate into lower prices for you? Simple. Costco makes sure that if a supplier raised prices for any of those reasons I just mentioned, plastic, steel, ports, then they have to roll back those price hikes now that their costs are going the other direction. Costco has the scale to force them into it. It's much better than the Fed raising rates. Costco is how you beat inflation. I'm a proud member. Unfortunately, there's one thing even Costco can't get under control, and Rich Galante says it, and that's wages. Those are sticky, almost intractable, and the big box chain could do nothing about them. If Costco wants to find good people, it has to pay off for them, which brings me to the Fed's real dilemma. They may be beating commodity inflation, but wage inflation is another story, as the labor market remains tight. I just came back from the West Coast, where there are more people looking for jobs than there are jobs. But that's a unique situation in this country, directly linked to the lack of IPOs and hiring freezes across tech. Silicon Valley is no longer hiring because the funding dried up. But until it gets easier for companies like Costco to hire new recruits, the Fed's not going to stop hitting the brakes on the economy. Yes, I want the Fed to stop here, especially because the rest of the world's increasingly dire straits. Yes, I think another full point of tightening would be disastrous for our economy. But half point more? That just might take down the help wanted signs and get wage inflation at least under control after all the hikes we've had. Let me put it this way. When it comes to rate hikes, we're no longer in a fistful of basis points, but we've still got a few basis points more. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.